Colossians 3, verse 5. The Bible says in verse 5 of Colossians 3, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Father, we need you today, and Lord, we need you to speak to our hearts. When we allow the Spirit of God to come and minister to us, we know your word is alive, it's quick, and it's powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, your word is able to do a surgery uh, where no other surgeon's scalpel can reach. God, do your work in our lives today, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. We spent now several weeks looking at how to develop a heavenly mindset. And certainly that's fundamental for every Christian is to develop that heavenly mindset. And last week we began to look at the topic of exactly how our new life in Christ looks. How many have been born again today? Say amen. amen. How many know your life has changed? We are new creatures in Christ. In the first three verses of, I'm sorry, the first four verses of chapter 3 of Colossians, we found three important facts. Now let me remind you, when it comes to God's Word, it's important what you know. And remember, if God says it's true, guess what? It's true. If God says He's done this or that for us, God has it. Number one, verse one says, we are risen with Christ. Second fact is we are dead now and our lives are hid with Christ in God. That's verse 3. And then in verse 4, when Christ comes, we will appear with Him in glory. Now, folks, please understand that. Now, these are not the only facts in God's Word, but in our study, in our message series right now, These are very important facts. These are true because God says they are true in our lives. And the Bible teaches us that because we are risen with Christ, we're to seek those things which are above, and we're to set our minds and our hearts on things which are above. And I mentioned last week that that particular part really is a command in the Word of God. And I found that in my own life, and it's probably true in yours, the longer you walk with Christ, it's not, well, when you're walking with Christ, it's not long before those commands, and they are commands, become a want to in your life. You want to seek heavenly things. You want your mind to be focused on heavenly things. Now remember, the Bible says we have died to ourselves. We have died to ourselves, and our life is now joined with Jesus Christ. And please don't forget that, because later on in our message, uh, we'll begin to touch on it today, and probably uh, some more next week as well, Lord willing. But now, we are joined to Christ, 
who has brought us to be with God. How many know there's only one way to God? Who is He? Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the only way. So now think about this. As a child of God, Jesus Christ Himself is our new implanted divine life. Jesse mentioned earlier in the opening of the service, the God of the universe dwells in us. We are the tabernacle of God. Can you imagine that? By the way, that's why we're not our own. We are bought with a price. We are hid in Christ. So this new life right now is hidden, but it's there. And then in verse 4, we had that wonderful promise. What a gracious, wonderful promise. One of these glorious days, when Christ is manifesting glory, the Bible says that you and I will also be manifesting glory. How do I know that's true? The Bible says it is true. And it's going to happen. Now I mentioned this last week, and I want to go back and kind of review just a little bit, not spend a whole lot of time. The question I want to deal with is, how do I know that I'm saved? Do you think that's an important question? Do you think you need to know? I meet so many people through the years, not all at once, of course, and I hear them say, I hope I'm saved. My friend, the Bible says we can know we're saved. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. So how do I know that I'm saved? And I mentioned last week, a lot of people go back to an experience in their lives. Maybe a time when they were in a church service and at the end of the service when an altar call was given, they walked forward and they bowed their heart before God and gave Him their life. He became Lord of their life. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to negate the importance of that. There's nothing wrong with that. I remember the day I came forward and got saved. But the fact of the matter, that is not how you know you're saved. Jesus said, and I mentioned this last week in Matthew 7, Jesus said, you will know them by what? By their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. I have never grown an orchard. Uh, Pam's mother and dad had a couple of apple trees in their yard. And I was never good at identifying trees particularly. But I always knew there were apple trees. You know how I knew that? There were apples growing on them. Duh, right? Now I realize our, our world lost its mind. And uh, this is free. If you're born a girl, you'll always be a girl. Even Mr. Rogers said that way back then. If you're born a boy, you'll always be a boy. And you'll be a man. I was reading the headlines this morning, and I didn't read the article, so I don't know where it was. But one particular teacher 
began to complain and said enough was enough when 11-year-olds wear diapers to school. So we live in a world that's lost its way. And I want to tell you something, folks. When you're saved, you don't live like the world lives. You live by biblical precepts. And Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. We know we're saved whenever our character and our conduct has changed. We don't live like we used to live. And now that we're saved, that change has brought about righteous living. And righteous living has now become the norm for our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we live without sinning, but it does mean we sin a whole lot less. And we want to live righteous lives. Because before, I don't care who you are, before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin. And we couldn't break away. But thank God, because Jesus washed away our sins, because Christ has come into our life, because we are joined with Christ, now we have the opportunity to live our lives in a way that pleases God, in a way that honors our God. If we are in Christ, if we become Christians, a change has taken place. And here's what I want to say today. If a change has not taken place in your life, I would examine your salvation. My friend, Jesus Jesus is real. And God said, for whosoever will can come and drink the water of life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And let me remind you, it's not just saying words. It's the cry of the heart. When Christ is being crucified, two thieves, one on either side. And early on, they both of them ridiculed Christ. But then one of the thieves recognized something about Christ. And he simply said, Father, remember me. You know what Jesus heard? Well, you heard the lips, I know that. He heard the cry of the heart. God always hears the cry of the heart. And now because Christ has restored our life, because he has given us an abundant life, now we are new creations. We are born again. And because we are born again, how do I know? I know that I'm born again because I now live different than I used to, but I also live different than the world, live different than the world does now. Christ is my Savior. Amen. I know that I'm saved. Now, by the way, I know I'm a pastor, and I thank you for allowing me to be here today. And every Sunday, I pray you let me come back next week. <laughs> but I understand that. But I want you to know, I stand, say, before God today, not because I'm good, because I am not. I stand today because God is good all the time. And he sent his son to die for my sins.
So we get to verse 5 and we see a, a therefore. And the Bible gives us things to put to death. To put off. Look what it says. Mortify, therefore, your members, which upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's kind of interesting. Paul is writing primarily to Gentiles who have become Christians. They've been born again. Now, certainly the Jews needed a Savior as well. We know that. But some of the, most of the Jews had some biblical training. They knew that adultery was wrong. They knew that fornication was wrong. In fact, all the five things that Paul lists here, they knew they were wrong. And for the most part, even the Jews who were unsaved tried, tried to keep those areas in their life pure. But he's writing primarily to Gentiles. A culture who said it's okay to commit adultery. A culture who changed the name to it's an affair. It's a fling. And I say to you this morning that all of us have come out of that culture. We are living in that culture today. So when Paul, when the Bible says to mortify our members on the earth, he's talking about certain aspects of our earthly nature. And we all were born with an earthly nature. And it means our, when we think of our nature, it's our disposition. A disposition or an inborn quality that generates and produces power in our lives. Now remember, how many people have sinned? Everyone, all have sinned. We were in that category. And when we are born again, it doesn't mean we lose that earthly nature, it's still there. But the moment we're born again, we receive divine nature, a capacity toward God. The moment we're saved, a radical change takes place in our disposition. I know I've shared this many times, but it just fits so well here. One of my mentors in my Christian life was Pierce Fields, godly man. And uh, we had a close friendship and such a friendship that there were times he would criticize me. And it didn't offend me. You know why? He did it with love. He was trying to encourage me in my walk with God. But I heard him say it many times, not definitely directed to me, Sometimes in a testimony. He said, when I got saved, God changed my want to. What do you mean by that? What he was saying was, before I was saved, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. But when I got saved, God 
change my want to. How many know only God can do that? Only God can do that. So there was a time in our lives where sin had a legal authority, our sin nature had a legal authority in our lives. But not only did it have a legal authority, it had experiential power over our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but through the years before I got saved, there were times I tried to turn over a new leaf. Guess what happened? The leaf must have blown away, amen? Why? Because that sin nature had experiential power over my life. And that's what we call that, the dispensation of the sin nature. But now that we're saved, now that we're born again, we have God's nature and we are to live as examples of Christ. We're to live like Christ lived. We are new creatures. And now, we have a disposition toward God. But don't forget, the old sinful nature is there. And he wants control back. But now we have Christ living in us. And even though we have died with Christ, thank God we've been raised with him. To sit in heavenly places with him. And even though that's true, we are still susceptible to temptation. And I don't mean to be a a downer today, but my friend, we will fight that battle till we go home to Jesus. It is. That being said, and that being true, biblically true, that's why we got every day We must make a conscious decision to get rid of anything, to remove anything that feeds the desires of our earthly nature and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 12, verse 1, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How many know if you're born again, you're in a race? Amen. And the Bible says lay aside every weight and every sin that's going to hinder you from running that race. So how do I know I'm saved? We are not to live the way we used to live. We are not to live the way the world lives. We died and we were raised with Christ. And we're to walk in the newness of life. And our lives, the way we live, ought to give evidence that Christ indeed is our Savior and He lives within us through the Holy Spirit of God. Our lives are changed. That's how I know I'm saved. We are new creations. Now remember, that old sinful nature is still there. He's not happy. 
He still tries to get us to uh, give in to his demands, but because Christ lives in us, folks, we have victory. We don't have to give in. And the only way we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, never fight the battle on your own. The Spirit of God lives in us. Now let's go back to our text in Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now this is going to be our text verse just for today. And we're not going to finish with this one particularly. But in this chapter, Paul gives two lists of things we're to get rid of. And in verse 5, we see the first five are listed there. The other five are in verse 8. In verse 5, Paul is talking about sexual sins. In verse 8, he's talking about uh, sins that uh, of speech. And just a footnote here, how, how many know God cares the way you talk? Amen. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. We're not going to get to today. The first thing on the list is fornication. We are to put to death, we are to mortify fornication. In the scriptures, that word fornication is used for any sexual misconduct or any impure sexual activity, and hear me well, that occurs outside the bounds of a marriage covenant. That's what fornication is. It is a sin against God. Now remember, Paul is writing to Colossians in Colossae. A lot of that, they were used to that in their city. They were involved in it. A lot of them were. And Paul says, now that you're saved, now that you're saved, you have got to get rid of that. You've got to destroy it. You must mortify it. The word fornication is also applied symbolically in God's word, to the sin of idolatry, as well to the sin of apostasy. Also applied to abandoning God. You're committing fornication. He is our God. He's our Heavenly Father. And the word fornication comes from a Greek word, pornea. And I think you can understand that we get the word pornography from that Greek word. And fornication is often linked with adultery in the Word of God. And I realize that here in our culture, <laughs> the word that a lot of people use, we are living in a permissible society. I say we're living in a simple society. Society that's lost its way. And we think about what goes on in our world. Anything, any sexual intimacy outside the bounds of marriage is wrong in the eyes of God. It was wrong 2,000 years ago, and guess what? It's wrong today. And so without a doubt, it is a general term for any kind of sexual immorality. 
It includes adultery. And I think you know what that is. But it also includes any form of sexual intimacy before marriage. And Paul says, mortify that. In Romans chapter 1, Paul gives a horrendous list of some things that were going on. Things that were sinful. And in verse 29 of Romans 1, look what he says. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers. And when I think about this verse and the others in chapter 1, of those awful sins, in that list, Paul includes fornication. Now, please remember, and again, sometimes I hesitate to say that Paul said this or Timothy said this, and it's true they did, but these men, old and new, were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Their words were God-breathed. So, in that list of horrible sins... Paul includes fornication. Jesus, now remember, he, he mentions a, a list of corrupting sins, and Jesus said they all come, come from the heart. Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, there's our word, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Out of our hearts. How many know when the heart is right, the feet are swift? Yeah. When our heart is right, we walk according to God's commands. Our lives change toward God. And we think about the sin of fornication. It violates the seventh commandment. And God gave that commandment to safeguard the integrity of the family and the integrity of the marriage union. Look what it says. Thou shall not commit adultery. There are only three institutions Ordained by God. Number one, the family. Number two, the church. And number three, government. And guess the first one he ordained? The family. That's why he said in Genesis, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. You see, God designed sexual intimacy for marriage. And he designed marriage to be a holy, to be prized, and to be an honored institution. And I know we live in a culture where people don't think anything about not being married. Folks, God thinks a lot about that. It does make a difference. And so God says, 
the Bible calls husbands and wives to keep themselves exclusively for one another. And God said, if you don't, you will face my judgment. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So what am I saying? What is the Bible saying? How many know that God can forgive any sin? And he wants to. He wants to. But everywhere the Bible speaks of sexual immorality, the Bible condemns it. God says it's wrong. And those who choose to persistently indulge in that kind of lifestyle, the Bible says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortion will inherit the kingdom of God. How plain can that be? Now, by the way, I didn't include verse 11 in my notes today, but verse 11 said, of which some you were at one time. Somewhere at one time, we were on that list. But now we've been cleansed. His blood washed away our sins. We've been justified in the eyes of God. Why? Because Christ forgave us of our sins, and now our life is different. When Paul was out on his first missionary journey, there was some contention arose between the Jewish believers warning some Gentile believers to keep the law. And so Paul leaves Antioch and he hightails it to Jerusalem. And he says, fellas, we've got to talk. And he explained to them how God was saving even the Gentiles. And they met together and they gave four conditions. Four conditions that if the Gentiles were going to be part of the church, they had to meet those conditions. Acts 15, verse 29. Number one, you abstain from meats offered to idols and blood. Number two, from things strangled. Number three, or number four, I'm sorry, from fornication. Now think about this. Everywhere we look, Scripture condemns fornication. In fact, the Bible tells us to run from every kind of Sexual sin, 
including fornication. Ephesians 5, verse 3. The fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. The Bible also says that sexual sin is unique. It is unique because it is a sin against our own body. Let that sink in. Don't think it doesn't hurt you. It does. Sexual sin is a sin against our body. Now, I made that statement, so my question is, why is that true? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verses 12 through 17. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God has raised up both the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Thank you, Lord. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Let's camp here for a moment. I've got brand new batteries. In these verses, Paul uses what scholars believe were two catchphrases of the day. The first one is found in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. And what was going on was this. That's what the Christians were saying. We've been saved. We're born again. And so they would say, all things are lawful for me. And for them, they were using it as a license to live any way they please. It's important to note a couple of principles here. First of all, it is true. Jesus Christ has taken away our sin. Thank God. That is true. But this does not mean that everything is good for us. Doesn't mean that we can do what we know is wrong. It is not a license to sin. Now, the New Testament specifically forbids 
a lot of sins that were listed and prohibited in the Old Testament. But you need to know, not every sin is listed. Anytime, we just read a few in Corinthians a moment ago and in Romans, none of those lists are exhaustive. Not every sin is recorded. And so Paul is saying this. Even though there are some actions that are not specifically forbidden in Scripture, we as believers should know that these actions and their results will be harmful to ourselves and harmful to the church. All things may be lawful, but all things are not beneficial. And yes, we have freedom in Christ. We refer to that as Christian freedom. But here's the bottom line. That Christian freedom is to share the gospel and show love for others. It is not for looking for a way to gratify our own flesh. That is not what God intended. A second principle. I've had people ask me through the years, Pastor, is it it a sin if I do this? Well, the Bible is clear. Some actions are not sinful in themselves. But we have to realize they are not appropriate. Because those actions can control our lives and lead us away from God. And Paul said, I will never allow anything except Christ to master and control my life. Because we're born again, we should not do those actions because we don't want to be mastered by anything. Remember, Jesus is Lord of our lives. He controls our lives. And what God has allowed us to enjoy, even as His children, what He allowed us to enjoy, must not grow into a bad habit that controls us. Then it becomes sin. I mentioned earlier in our message, we live in a permissive society. And because we do, it's awful easy for us as Christians to overlook and tolerate some immoral behaviors. Now think about this. Now make no mistake about it. I believe that homosexuality is a sin. The Bible says so. I believe that adultery is a sin. The Bible says so. But you know what the Bible also says? Greed is a sin. It also says that uh, drunkenness is a sin. Uh, lying is a sin. In fact, about anything we do in excess that's detrimental to us, the Bible says it's a sin. And the problem is, and I'm guilty of it, but sometimes we try to justify those things. We gloss over them. But my friend, everyone in that list is a sin. Not just one or two. All of them were a sin in the eyes of God. And so as children of God, we must not participate in. And we must not continue in any way. In any way. 
or be selective about what we condemn or what we excuse. Now remember this, folks. If God said it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. And guess how long it'll be wrong? Forever. It'll never change. So staying away from more acceptable forms of sin, I know it's difficult. It is difficult for us. We live in that kind of world. And sometimes we get the attitude, well, Lord, what does it matter? I don't really, you know, whatever. But it does matter. And it's difficult. But my friend, it is no more difficult for us than it was for the believers at Colossae or the believers at Corinth. It doesn't matter. It is difficult. And hear me well. I don't care what age we live in. God expects His people to live by high standards. Amen. Give us men and women who will exemplify a godly character even every day of their life. Amen. Having high standards in our life. And listen very carefully, folks. We see it best. We see that exemplified the best. Not when we hold a measuring stick against society. We see it best in our humble commitment to pursue holiness and having a transparent life about how God, grace, is continuing to work in my life. And my friend, I want to tell you, in my walk with God, I'm a lot better better than I was two years ago, but I'm still not where I want to be. And I confess that God's grace is still at work in my life. And I praise Him for that grace. That's how we exemplify those high standards. There was a second, oh my goodness. Let me read it real quick and then we'll, we'll, we'll quit. Another catchphrase, 1 Corinthians 6, 13. We'll come back next week. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. That makes me hungry. Let's stand together. Oh my goodness. Church. I'm praying today that God has spoken to your heart. If you have been born again, live like it. If you've been born again, set your standards high. And I know the world says this and says that. But my friend, let's don't live by the dictates of the world. Let's live by the dictates of the word. If you're listening online today, set your standards high. If you've never been saved, you can be today. But my friend, be aware, when you come to Christ, He will change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for clear instruction of what our born-again life should look like. Thank You, Lord, for giving us assurance that we can know that we're saved and thank you for the evidences that you give us 
that tells us, yes, we are saved. Father, I pray that today the Spirit of God would deal with hearts. There are some listening today, either here or online, and they know they need to make changes. They know that they need to come to you and ask you to encourage them, to give them strength to overcome whatever it is. Father, right now, I pray that you will deal with that heart and especially with the heart of the one who's unsaved. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.